so we're excited to continue God's story today. We're going to be talking about the fall, as was uh, mentioned. And uh, so I get to talk about the fall of mankind today. That's going to be a, a it's an interesting part of God's story. It might not be exactly what you think. But uh, this past weekend, we went to Nashville, and these are uh, the people that we're kind of, this is our cohort here, minus two people that are the, the tall guy and the blonde lady. We stayed, so we stayed at somebody's house that we didn't know, wow. right? Uh, it's friends of our other friend there. So part of the program is like not just practicing hospitality where you have people over, but allowing yourself to be hosted by other people, right? So as Christians, sometimes we're always thinking, man, who can I have over? But sometimes God wants us to go over to other places. And like when he sent out the disciples, he said, just stay wherever you, whoever invites you in, just stay there. So that's kind of the idea. So that was pretty cool. It didn't hurt that they had like four extra bedrooms there. So it was, we, weren't, we weren't exactly roughing it. But uh, the guy next to me, he's Elias. He was baptized in Long Beach, was in the ministry in Ashland, Oregon, then actually Tacoma, Washington. They were in Tacoma right before the Alexanders. And then he, now he's in, he was in Springfield and now he's moving to, he was in Austin and now he's moving to Springfield, Massachusetts. So he's like been serving God all over the place and uh, has some amazing kids and the, uh, woman next to Danielle there is uh, Issa Arena, who's actually friends of Roy's family. And she was baptized uh, with uh, his parents in the Philippines, and they're really close friends. And, you know, uh, they, I think Roy's mom may eventually moved down to San Diego to be closer to her. So they're like, you know, best friends. So she brings a really cool uh, flavor to the program. And, and then um, the guy with the beard there is uh, Danny or Daniel uh, Reyna, who's actually Chris Moya's campus minister in Omaha, uh, at um, where he's going to college. So it's kind of cool that, you know, God has brought us together and we have connections, you know, whether the through the Alexanders or through these guys. And, you know, so it's, it was fun to be together uh, during the week there. And uh, when we got there, we had class Friday, then Saturday, we, we visited two churches and a nonprofit. And kind of the idea is just to expose us to how people are worshiping God, how they're doing church, to get our imagination going so we can figure out, like, how does this work in our context, in our church, in our area? So as I kind of share these things, I don't just share about my trip, but to get you to think, like, how does God want to use us in our place, in our city, in our area and the first place we went was this place called the Green Street Church. And the original building, which is kind of in the back there, was built in 1890s in this neighborhood. And, and so it had all these old pictures of everybody. And then when the, the interstate came through, I-40 in the 50s, and they basically bought out all the houses. And so this area turned into like a industrial area with warehouses and everything. And then they had, um, they would have these Wednesday dinners with the whole church. And it wasn't necessarily to serve the poor, but they just like, anybody who came with the church, not from the church, they just ate dinner together, which I thought was cool. And there was one woman there who came regularly, became part of their like family. And she 
was an unhoused person, so she didn't have a house, and so she asked them, hey, can I pitch a tent on your property? Right? So they, they deliberated for a while and figure out, like, hey, I don't know if this is a good idea, but... And they finally came out and they said, well, we don't want to say no, but we don't want to say yes either, so you do what you want, right? So she ended up, you know, uh, pitching her tent there, and they felt like, you know, Jesus wouldn't say no to somebody that wanted to pitch their tent and to stay safe, etc. And so it kind of developed where now they are, their church has like 15 little micro homes, tiny homes, you know, uh, on their property. And they have like a community like kitchen area. And and so it kind of started from this one woman and then it grew and they got donations and they have all these agencies coming in to help and, you know, with the goal to get them, you know, uh, on their feet to, to get a job and, and you know, kind of take the next step for them. But it was just really cool to think about. It all started from one little one relationship and God made it grow and it just got me thinking like how is God working in our lives we don't have a building necessarily but through our relationships to open up doors they weren't planning on doing anything like super great but God had other plans just through their love for their neighbor and I was it was kind of a disturbing not not the not this part of it, but the church building itself inside was not all that well kept. Like the floor was just there was just stains like everywhere, like literally everywhere. Like the walls had paint, and the paint was like all chipped. I mean, like places like this big just chipped out, and and you're just like wow. But they were so content, and they're using their money for the this village and. You know, they don't have a lot of money. The minister actually gets half of his salary from another church that helps them out. And and they were just like, hey, God's going to provide. And I was really convicted, just like, hey, they're they're just trusting. He's just trusting God. And uh, it was just a cool, um, it was inspirational uh, for me there. You know, then we went to uh, another church kind of in the, the heart of Nashville. And it was a... It was a mostly black church, and it, it was just like so enthusiastic. You know, they were passionate. They were fired up. The worship was amazing. And we were just like in awe. And they had like this one kid that was like 12 years old, and he was on the piano, and he's like a, like a child prodigy. I mean, it was like pretty amazing. And some of the things that they did, like in their service, they would have like medical moments to really one of their – goals was to educate their community and so they spent like we had this amazing worship we're all fired up and then they took like 10 minutes of this medical moment and they talked about um, suicide prevention month which is going on right now and they talked through symptoms of people that might commit suicide and and how you know some in our community don't want to get help with their mental health like they're too macho to get help and just encouraging people to get help and even, like, to the detail of talking to people, like, when someone says they want to commit suicide, this is what you should ask them, you know, and ask them if they have a plan and ask them, you know, the questions to know what to do and then where to refer them. And it was just, like, really amazing to think about, man, they're really, their version of worship is not just in the building, but it's outside the building to bring knowledge and to 
educate people to be able to really help others. And um, they had another uh, moment that was uh, they had they have social justice moments where this girl that just graduated from college was going to like 50 different churches in like two months. That might not be possible. I don't know how she was doing it, but that's what she said. And basically just educating people on all the things to vote on, all the things that are on the ballot, registering people to vote. And it was like really intense. And I was like, hey, I don't think we'll do that in our church necessarily. (laughs) That might be crazy. But it was just encouraging to see that was their way of serving God, of not disengaging from the world, but engaging and trying to make a difference, trying to be educated, trying to make different choices that would help uh, their community. And, um, you know, the idea of going to, you know, and that was a Christian church, which was kind of from the restoration movement. But the idea wasn't that, hey, we're going to agree with everything, but just to see what is out there, see how people worship and be able to kind of learn uh, and grow. And then the last place we went was this woman named Samaria uh, who started this window of love charity, basically started that kids in her neighborhood didn't have food when schools were closed. And so she went out and bought snacks and was giving it out to some of the kids and and her, you know, her daughter is special needs and she's 19 years old and she was there and, you know, she was so excited too and she was enrolled at a program in Clemson and she had her Clemson stuff on and it was just like really a, a touching moment. But just the joy that she had of serving God, like she's like, man, this is so exciting. God is, I, God is using me and she, you know, really had no qualifications to do a nonprofit. She didn't know how to set one up. You know, God provided people to set it up for her. And then when she ran out of snacks, it kind of went viral, and the whole community started bringing snacks to her house. Then she expanded it into books. You know, so when you read a book, then you get a treat, and so it's, like, educational. And then they started taking, like, field trips to different places around the city. And And it was just, like, a single mom. She's got no money. She, you know, she's in public housing. And yet that's she's still blessing the world. And I was just like, wow, like, what is what is my excuse? You know, what is our excuse? But it, it was it was just really uh, inspiring. And I hope that kind of gets you uh, thinking about how God could move in in your world and in our world around you. And then, you know, Connor came up for the last couple of days um, and because uh, Lana is only like three and a half hours from there. So he drove up and. We took this um, civil rights tour uh, that actually the designs recommended to us. It was amazing and very humbling and, and eye-opening. And we kind of toured different sites that had happened around uh, the city there, followed John Lewis, a famous uh, you know, um, congressman, and his idea of getting into good trouble. And he's like, don't just get into any kind of trouble, but get into good trouble that makes a difference. And so that was his kind of slogan. He actually spoke at my 25th college reunion and and gave that that speech about good trouble. And so we went to one of the Woolworths lunch counter there where they started some good trouble back in in the 60s and heard some pretty, uh, you know, heartbreaking stories about, you know, the the plight of, of 
black people in that area, you know, where they ha- they could when they they'd have to ride the buses in the back. They could buy clothes at the store, but they couldn't try them on. And then there was nowhere in the downtown Nashville that they could eat. And so, I, what was so that was heartbreaking. But what was so inspiring is their their uh, conviction to make a difference, to get into good trouble. That they would go away and have like nonviolent training for themselves. And just their their resolve and conviction that hey, we don't if we get arrested, we don't want to get arrested for anything other than our skin color. Like we don't want to fight. We you know, so they would put on their Sunday best. They would bring, you know, money down there and want to buy lunch and just, you know, they got kicked out and arrested for like 35 days. And I was just like, man, what what conviction, you know, what 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 determination that they had. And the thing that was, you know, inspiring just even on our trip was that it was all fueled by the churches, by all the black churches and the universities in that area and, um, you know, white ministers from even in different parts of the country. But just to see, like, man, their churches didn't sit back, that they stepped up. And it just was like, huh, that's a good thing to think about for, for me and to really pray about, man, God might be getting you into some good trouble. You know, don't get into bad trouble. Don't get into stupid trouble. Don't do, you know, don't do it for no reason, but get get into good trouble. Uh, when you look at Jesus, I think he did a little bit of that. Anyways, we're getting into the sermon here, but I did want to share a little bit about that because it did impact me. I want to kind of pass that on a little bit to, to you guys. Um, so we're going to, again, we're talking about God's story here. Roy did an amazing job last week talking about the creation And I love the picture that he used of God standing before a blank canvas and having this vision of all the beauty that he was going to bring out and all the beauty that we can see in the world and even what the world would have looked like before sin and before, you know, the garden was over. But just that God had an amazing plan. He created a good world and he made all of us very good. You know, that the world is not bad. That humanity, he said, was very good. And to be able to look at each other in that way, that value that we all are children of God. And I love that vision at the end where we started with the tree of life. And then in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, we end up with the tree of life. And just that we're, it gave me a great vision of what we want, where we're going with Christ And uh, so today we're going to be talking about the fall, but I'm going to try as much as I can to look at it from the other side of the of the story where we are. We're in the church. So we have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the power to overcome. And so we're not looking at the fall as in, hey, we're done. We're looking at the fall and like, no, we've overcome with Christ but we can look back and learn the lessons that we can learn uh, today uh, from that. And so let's say a prayer uh, as we get started uh, here today. I'm going to pray um, for the families of the uh, hurricane victims in uh, Florida, where over 100 people died and four in North Carolina. 
And um, you may have may or may not have heard that about 160 people died at, a, at an Indonesian soccer game as well. They got trampled there. So I'm going to pray for them uh, as we pray for the service. Uh, Father, we do uh, thank you that you have an amazing plan for us. God, that you are, uh, you have an amazing story for humankind, that you have a plan for each of us, God. And I do pray that even as we're celebrating that, that you bring uh, comfort to these uh, families, uh, the hurricane victims in Florida and North Carolina, and, and those that, uh, you know, were trampled in Indonesia, God. It's just heartbreaking to see, uh, either through natural disaster or just, you know, panic and fear and just uh, people that, uh, went to a game to have fun and, and didn't come back. And we pray you provide comfort, encouragement for their families, God. Help them to see uh, even your blessing out of that really, really challenging time. God, I pray that you uh, be with the lesson today, that you lift us up, help us to see you, and uh, get me out of the way that we can really hear your words. God, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my title today is, Who Am I and Who is the God That Made Me? And these are some of the lessons that we should be getting out of this passage with the fall. And as I was looking at Genesis 3, it talks about some of the lessons that I got out of that was that we have choices. God, through this chapter, demonstrates that we have choices, that he gives us options and we can make decisions he gives us that freedom you know he he gives us that trust to make decisions in the world uh number two that there is evil in the world you know that there is uh an evil in the world and we're going to talk about that that there's consequences to our choices right we're, we can make them but then there's there, there's consequences when we make Decisions to trust God and decisions to not trust God. But then what was really even surprising was that even in the fall, that there was a redemption already built in. That as soon as they fell, there was a plan to get them back. And it just made me think about how we even are with our kids. Right? We have, and our parents were with us, right? They have these amazing plans for us. And at some point, we, we mess up. Sometimes we mess up a lot. But then they're always there to catch us and kind of give us another shot, right? Give us another chance. And it helped me to see that that is the God that we serve. That he's not there just to make us fall, but he's there to catch us. He's there to redirect us. He's here to bring redemption to us. And um, hopefully we're going to connect uh, with our ideas, with our identity uh, in Christ and kind of the the one line that I want you to remember or even think about is this. Wisdom and flourishing only come by trusting and obeying God. That's the only way to find wisdom and flourishing is by trusting God and obeying God. That's For me, that was the big lesson, the big story from this chapter. So let's go ahead and start. My first point is, who am I? Who am I? After the creation, they learned that they were created in the image of God. That they were from God. That he gave them life. That he gave them authority over the earth. 
that he gave them connection with one another, that he blessed them and gave them each other in marriage even, and yet they forgot who they were. Right? Because if you remember who you are, you're going to want to trust God. Right? I'm God's child. He created me. He loves me. He wants to bless me. When we're in that mode, recognizing that, like, sin is not appealing. Like, why would I? I'm the child of God. Why would I want that? Why would I trade this for that? And so something had to happen here to get them away from who they are, to get them to attend to what sin was in their life at the time. And that's the same way that Satan works today. But let's read in verse 1. It says, Now... The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. And so, you know, we're familiar with this story, and I don't know if we have any Bema people in here. Any Bema people? Okay, all right, so we have some. So you probably heard this before, but the idea that, that one of the ideas that they get across is when you read the Bible, you're, the way the Jews would read it is they're looking for things that don't make sense, right? We're looking for it, and we just want it to all make sense, be straightforward, just tell me what we want to do, but... They would read it in the sense of God is trying to teach us something here, but we've got to kind of look for it. And so we read it all the time, but sometimes we can pass over one of the most obvious things that doesn't make sense is what? The snake talks, right? This is not normal. Snakes don't talk. This is strange. Not only do snakes talk, but they reason. And they relate to Eve here. And then they walk because they had to have their legs taken away. So they walked. The snake seems really human in the story. I hate to break it to you. This is not a true story. The snake didn't really talk. The snake didn't really. You know, God uses this story. It's a true Bible, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? But God wants us to stop and think like God is why, why is this happening? You know, there's something weird here. And so he goes into the whole reason that basically the snake talks, reason, relates, walks, but he's not human because he just follows his beastly desires. He does whatever he wants to do. Whatever feels good, do it. Whatever I feel, I just go like that. But human is trusting God and following God and doing what he wants us to do. So he's kind of drawing that uh, distinction there. I'm sure that I butchered it, but you can go back and listen to that later. But God gave them paradise with one restriction. That's pretty crazy. They could do anything they wanted to do, eat any tree they wanted, do everything except for one thing. And that might not be fair, too, if you think about it. If I say, you can look anywhere you want, but don't look over here. 
like you might think the rest of the service, like, hey, what's over there? Why can't I look over there? It looks, I bet there's something better over on that side of the room than over on this side of the room. And so God, ultimately, I believe God knew that this was, they were going to, they were going to go for it. But sometimes in our lives, we have, God's given us so many blessings and yet we can't help but think about, I wonder if it's better over here. I wonder if this option is going to be better. I wonder if following my own instinct is going to work out better than trusting God. And God promises that it won't, but sometimes we can be tempted to think maybe it will. Let's keep reading in, in verse 5. He says, for, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and was desirable to gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this shows the choices that we can make as Humans. God gives us these choices and you can kind of see how it happened. She, she, what does it say? It says she, she saw the fruit of the tree. It looked good. It was pleasing to the eye. It, it was appealing because it desired, you know, she desired this wisdom. And you could just see that this idea was just getting like deeper and deeper inside of her. Until she went for it. You know, that's how Satan works. He gives us an idea. And if we don't throw it away, we can think about it a little bit more. And it can get a little bit deeper. And then the next thing you know, we're abandoning God for our own idea or for our own desire. Here, Eve becomes the first idol worshiper. She's not worshiping something out there she's worshiping herself something created over the creator and adam becomes an idolater too i don't know if he was in on that whole first plan but he may have been guilty of putting his wife as an idol and doing what she wanted him to do rather than doing what god wanted him to do And so in that moment, this new brand of wisdom was created. The the wisdom that wants to follow their own hearts and desires. The wisdom that says, I'm going to follow my way rather than God's way. I'm going to do what I feel rather than what God wants for my life. And they left the blessings of God behind. You know, some they're... They forgot that their purpose was to bring blessing to the world, not just to have it for themselves. Not just to consume whatever it is for them. God wants us to bless the world. And sometimes we can even come to church with that idea that church is to encourage me. That I want to be lifted up. That I want to be served. That I want you know it to encourage me. I want it to be easy or whatever. And God's like, no, church is to bless the world. It's not for the blessings to stop here. It's for the blessings to flow everywhere, to be able to spread. The garden didn't, wasn't supposed to just be for them. It was supposed to be for the whole world. And yet sometimes if we're not careful, we can look at church in the wrong way 
that God wants us to bring these blessings to the world, even like we talked about with those churches earlier. Um, you know, and now evil is brought into the world, too. Before you had good and very good, and now you have good and very good and evil, all in the same place. So God brought blessings out of good, and now God's going to bring blessings out of good and very good and evil. That God is even going to bring blessings out of evil. But it forces that I'm sure that in the world where this was written and read, they had seen a lot of evil. The Israelites that were reading this, they'd never been in the garden either. But all they had to do was look around and they could see wars and oppression and famine and hatred and violence and divorce and all kinds of stuff. And there's. It brought me to the question, I don't know if it brought you to that question, of like, how does God allow evil in the world? How does God work through evil? Why, did he, why is that even there? Like, what's up with that? I don't know. But even there, God wants us to trust him. Even when others' choices and our own choices are evil, even when we can't explain what's going on. If it hasn't happened to you yet, there will be a time in your life when it will happen, and you're like, God, are you, are you good? This doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like a blessing. Read through the Psalms. I mean, they weren't all excited all the time. They were yelling at God and upset at God and wrestling with that very question. God, are you good? I believe that he is, but not all the time. But God wants us to trust him that even when we see evil, that he's good, that he will bring blessing out of evil. Like Romans 8.28 says, to everything works for the good of those who love him. That sounds easy to say when you're at church, but that's not always easy. Amen? God brings blessing even out of evil. God has given us the Holy Spirit. And I love the... I'll give credit to, uh, to Bama on this one, too. He talks about El Shaddai, the God who knows when to say enough. And coming out of the creation, God created this perfect world, and he got to a point where he said, okay, it's good, it's perfect, it's enough. I don't need to create any more. And that was the issue with Eve, is that she didn't have enough. She had everything except God. God's blessings weren't enough. And sometimes we can struggle with that same thing. We can struggle with being content with trusting God and lose that wisdom and flourishing only come by trusting God and obeying God. Amen? Amen. Who I am as the child of God. Where, where am I? So not only who am I, but where am I? You know, they read this. Uh, let's go ahead and read in verse 8. He says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking through the garden. In the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? 
He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And like always happens, Satan promised them wisdom. You're going to be like God. You're going to know everything, and yet he delivered nothing. Satan always overpromises and underdelivers. Here they thought, I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be like God. And they ended up hiding and running and ashamed. And that happens every single time we lose trust in God. Every time that we depend on our own wisdom and we go after what we want and not what God wants. And I love this story here where God says, where are you? (laughs) It's kind of funny, right? You know everything. You don't have to ask where I am. You know where I am. But he wasn't asking, where are you in that kind of way? He was asking you, like, where are you? You're supposed to be right here. You're supposed to be with me. This is where I want you to be. This is where you were created to be. Where are you? You know, when we lose our connection with God, then when we lose our trust in him, then we can drift away and God's like, hey, you're supposed to be here. Don't be way over there. Come over here. This is where you'll get love. This is where your blessings are. This is where I created you to be. And sometimes we don't know where we are. We don't feel close to God, you know, and we have drifted from where he wants us to be. And I I found these three Hebrew words that I don't know how to say. (laughs) But Aram, Aram, and Irum. I'm sure that that was terrible. But... uh, If you realize in this passage, something else that was weird is they use the word naked four times in 12 verses. So if you're a teenager, you could tell your friends that they use the word naked at church. (laughs) And they use also the word crafty, which sounds similar. And so he's using that word play. He's not talking about being naked. He's talking about how crafty this evil is. And how we need to be on guard. And how it sneaks in around us. The people that were reading this were more, needed to be more concerned about how crafty Satan is than about actually what happened in the fall. And that's the same for us, that we're in a spiritual battle. That there's temptations around us. That God wants us to fight spiritual battles in spiritual ways. The key, that was, like, he wasn't talking about losing the key, but being next to them. So I didn't explain that. I'm going to have you read this on your own. But it talks about the curses that came from, from this lack of trust in God. To do with fertility, with family, with work. The snake and the ground are cursed. The pains in childbearing. Now they have to live with this curse. 
And yet God is going to bless them even in this curse. Like I said before, that he brings blessing out of darkness. He brings light out of darkness. He brings, even in our suffering, he brings beautiful things. And you just think about the cross, like that was an emblem of death, of suffering, of shame. And yet God brought beauty and life and love out of that. And that's the way he wants to live our lives, us to live our lives. My third point is more of a question. Who are you listening to? Are you listening and trusting and obeying God, or are we listening to ourselves? Are we listening to the world? Are we listening to the media, or are we listening to God? The implication when the Satan asked, did God really say not to eat from any tree, was it? God's lying. You can't trust him. You don't know that for sure. And yet God needs us and is trustworthy and wants to bless us as we trust him. And so my question for us to think about even this week is, who am I going to listen to when I want to retaliate? Who am I going to listen to when I want to drift from God or I don't feel like praying or I don't want to do the right thing when I don't want to be honest, when I don't want to confess? Am I going to listen and trust God, or am I going to trust my own wisdom and my own understanding? You know, the next scene uh, after this is the scene of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, where death literally enters the world for the first time in a human that they got to see the consequences of their sin of not trusting God, that it ultimately they had to watch one of their kids kill another one. They were not only separated from the tree of life, but now they were into this world of suffering. And yet even there, God was ready to bless them. This is the scripture I was talking about in Genesis 3.15 as we take our communion that God's redeeming them even as they were falling. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, the snake and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Talking about Jesus overcoming Satan by the cross. And then as it happens to be again, that's a reference, it's referenced in Revelation as well. This uh, snake, this Satan, Uh, War with God. It says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth. And his angels with him. Still bringing evil into the world. He says... I think I just read that. They triumphed over him later on in that chapter by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And we sang that song earlier. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea. 
Because the devil has gone down to you, he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And I will say that that's a pretty scary passage, right? To be afraid. And yet I want to remind you that we have the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you that we have Jesus who rose from the dead on our side. That we're not talking about the fall today. We're talking about the life that God wants us to live. The life without sin. The life that will lead us ultimately close to him. And then he says, when the dragon was enraged and the woman went off and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. That sounds a lot to me like those who trust God, trust Jesus and obey his commands will have wisdom and blessing as they hold on to their faith. So let's, let's uh, think about that as we take communion. Think about who we are. Think about where God we want, where, where we are with God. And think about who he wants us to listen to. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much that you have given us your word, that you've given us so many lessons, even today from a passage that maybe we don't even read that much, but uh, God, help us to know that we are, we're yours. Help us to walk in our identity inside of Christ as your sons and daughters. God, thank you for the blood that you've given for us. Thank you for your death, God. Help us to uh, carry that with us, God, that we can see blessings come even through hard times. And God, thank you that you made us uh, very good. Thank you that you made the world good. And I pray that we can bring your blessing out into the world. Thank you for... Uh, the forgiveness that you provide. Thank you for the new life in your spirit. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name.